Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance access deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. Outdoor Adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. My name is Clay Newcomb and this is a production of the Bear Grease podcast called the Bear Grease Render where we render down, dive deeper, and look behind the scenes of the actual Bear Grease podcast. Presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. I'm a big fan of these uh, these snake boots. Who makes I them? wore these the entire week while I was hunting in Mexico. These are lacrosse straight up snake boots. They kind of look, they kind of have a cowboy boot, but kind of with a non-aggressive heel, leather, square toe. Got the but square they, toe like the they, old kicking shoe. They come up like all the way almost to your knee, but they put on easier than a rubber boot. They're waterproof. And when you wear them, you feel like you've got armor on your legs. Really? Yeah, I really like them. Very Did y'all see any snakes when you was down? No, it was cold. We were at six thousand feet elevation, Ooh. so it was it was it was very cold up there. Well, that's good. well, we have a very eclectic group here at the Bear Grease Render today. None of which are qualified to be here based upon good looks, Anything. education, accomplishments in life. Speak for yourself. Or <laughs> no, just kidding. The least of which isn't to my left, Lauren Moulton. Howdy. Thanks Lauren, for having me. Long-time meat eater videographer. Correct? About four years. That's 2018. Yeah. That's a five long time. Got yeah. math. Traveled all over all over with all different varieties of meat eater folks. Great to have you, Lauren. Thanks for having me. Yeah. To Lauren's left, the illustrious Britt Reeves. Good to be here. Britt, good to see you, man. Good to be seen. To Brent's left. That's wait a minute. That's it. That's the only intro you get today. Wow. 
Yeah. To Brent's left. This will greatly reflect my participation in today's endeavor. Go ahead. Do you want me to talk about your outfit again? Brent no, Reeves pretty is well. wearing a <laughs> I think people fairly know. new pair of, what's the brand of overalls? Roundhouse. Roundhouse overalls with a coon fob and his pocket watch, wearing a first light shirt. Okay, pretty, that's enough. Looking that's pretty enough. sassy. That's enough. To your left, Michael Roseman. <clears throat> Hello. Michael, you've been on the Bear Grylls Road before, haven't you? Yes, on the uh, Where the Red Fern Grows. That's right. Episode. So Michael is the owner of Sunspot Lights, which were the they're the coon lights that that we use all the time. That if you see me or Brent wearing a light, a, a hard hat with a big old light, that's a Sunspot Light. Yep. Arkansas based company. Yes. And they are super bright. Man, I tell people nonstop. People people challenge me about lights. Like I'll be at a camp, it's happened more than once. And they're like, Oh, I got a good light. And I'm and I'm I'm just like, Really? And we stepped out and sh- you know, turned the lights on and coon hunters have the market on the most powerful lights in the world. Are you like Crocodile Dundee when that guy pulls a knife on him? That's not a knife. <laughs> this is not a. That's not a light. This is a light, and you pull yeah. out that sunspot. That's right. Yeah, we found out a couple nights ago that he would win more of those battles if he charges light. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I learned a little bit about about these that from the time you start using. I, I thought they just powered all the way through until they went dead and they just died, but they, but they they dim. Some some coon hunting lights just cut out. Um, I didn't ever. I, I never liked that. Yeah. Uh, no one wants to be standing there thinking your lights fully charged and, and be in the dark. So it slowly dims. It doesn't start dimming until uh, about the four or five hour mark. Yeah. After that, it starts to slowly dim, and and it's a gradual dim. I mean, you couldn't even tell yours wasn't charged until you shined right. it next to one that was charged. That's right. Yeah, I, I hardly ever charge mine because it doesn't it doesn't need it. You know, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll hunt or I use it every day, feeding my dogs, going outside, doing stuff at night, especially you know in the winter when it gets dark early. I'm mm-hmm. I'm dead serious. I keep it by the door. I use it every day, and turn it on. But to great to have you, Michael. Makes... We're gonna come back to that. To Michael's left, Big Dirty Dave Gardner from Happy Montana. How you doing, man? Good. Big Dirty and I go way back. Uh, Dave has hunted with me in Oklahoma for whitetails for two years, hunted in Montana a couple, well, once maybe. Yep. So. Arkansas. Arkansas this time. So what we're doing is is we're down here filming a coon and squirrel hunt. And uh, we're staying in East Arkansas over here on the White River. Mm-hmm. And uh, White River's coming up. White River's like flood stage. Is that right, Michael? Yeah. Um, I forget. Is it 33 feet? Yeah, about Flood 33. stage here is 26. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Explain to me these river levels. They, it seems like it would be zero would be like normal, what they, whatever they determined for normal, but that's not true. Mm. Well, where, where is, where does... What does 33 mean unless you're here and you just know, oh, 33 is high water? What does 33 I, mean? I couldn't tell you the, the accurate answer to that. I know that they have the, when when you check the water levels, you check flood stage. 
and whatever the nominal le uh, level for the river is, it, it's inside those parameters. You know, if it's it's between this, between two numbers there, it's deep enough to traverse. Yeah. Or it's too, sh or it gets too shallow and you can't drive a boat. So it's got, I, I can't tell you that. I don't know if that comes from core engineers, like, you know, given channel depth, average channel depth or not, yeah. I don't know. That's something for the Michael's looking it up for the Google. There's a there's a gauge under the river that you can look at that has uh, hash marks for feet under the bridges. Un know. Under yeah, under the bridges. Mm -hmm. um, and that generally on any river will equate to a cubic feet per second of volume of of cubic feet per second of water moving by one particular spot. Is okay. that right? So the know. volume, <clears throat> when they say 33, 26, whatever it is, different, different rivers have different gauges, right? But it's always, in the United States, gauged by cubic feet per so second. So that doesn't mean, like, elevation? It'll equate to elevation on that gauge. That's how they tell, you know, okay. like, okay, here's flood stage, here's, like, major flood. Okay. Uh, Dave, you got any? Yeah, I mean, I think... I think like the foot gauge, a lot of the, that probably goes back to before they were able to probably calculate out CFS. Mm -hmm. And so I've seen it a lot of places. It's just like a foot gauge on a bridge, right? Mm. And so there will just be marks on a bridge like <coughs> Michael was saying. And so this is probably one place on the White River where there's a bridge <clears throat> and it... Well, there's got to be... It, zero's got to mean something because we're saying, oh, the river's 33 feet. And then if you're around here for 50 years, you know, oh, 33 foot is flood stage. Normal is like 24 feet. The gauge, so, you, one gauge that you use here is looking out the back door. Cause see if there's water creeping up the, in your backyard. There it is right there. Yeah, because behind this cabin is a porch that hangs off and there's boat cleats on a deck that's probably eight or nine feet off the ground. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing yeah. I gauge it that way too. Yeah, the floods here are interesting. In the Ozarks, a flood would be like a flash flood. Like you'd be, it'd be heavy rain and gushing fast water, dangerous water. Mm -hmm. Here, flood is, it could be a beautiful, usually a flood doesn't come till after a storm's come through and it's bluebird skies and the weather's beautiful and the river's just slowly inching up. Incrementally and it's going slow up. Slow water, yeah. or, you know, at least where it's backwatering out, yeah. slow water. But we've been squirrel hunting and coon hunting. We we had I'd say we had a good a real good squirrel hunt, other than getting flooded out from some of our better spots. What do you guys think? Oh yeah, it was yeah, good. I thought it was really good. Killed quite a few squirrels. Mm -hmm. Had a good time. Guys, what y'all think of squirrel hunting? Dave and uh, and Lauren hadn't squirrel hunted before. No, lots of action, which is great. Usually on a hunt, filming, you're kind of waiting for that moment. You know, nine days in Alaska waiting for a move. Yeah. Seeing the animal from way off, but uh, squirrel hunts live action, quick. Same with coons. It was pretty fun. Mm -hmm. It's definitely one of the more action-packed hunts I've filmed. Yeah. It's pretty fun. You know, the first day, what, you guys killed 12 squirrels? Mm-hmm. I don't think I've been on a duck hunt where we've killed 12 ducks. In day, <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. And then we coon hunted at night, hunted Brent's dog, and then we hunted... Uh, one of Michael's dogs, and we're hunting in as good a coon hunting as there is in the these United States. Yeah, anywhere. Yeah. <clears throat> Did you know that uh, 
there are raccoons in Europe, but they're an invasive species. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they brought them into, yeah, Germany. Mm. They have a, a large population in Germany. They're probably causing just as much ruckus over there as they are over here. Killing mm-hmm. just as many birds' nests. Yep. What was the uh, impetus of bringing them to Germany? Why would you? Probably the same hats. reason people brought all kind of weird stuff over here. Yeah, yeah. Just, it was a novel animal that they could carry around. Maybe even brought it over for for hunting. Do you know, Michael? Um, I'm, from what I understand, it was uh, one of Hitler's chancellors that, uh, whatever he was over the wildlife, thought they were fascinating. Brought them really? over, turned them loose. Right? That's uh, don't quote me on that, but that's what I'm. Don't that's what it. I'm remembering. Well, we just did. You're on a, <clears throat> you're on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. I'm wrong all the time. I like it. <laughs> no, I. You never know. You never know. Sounds good. Um, well, a few housekeeping things. March fourth in Bentonville, Arkansas, is the Black Bear Bonanza. Yeah. It's a one day event that. Is gonna it's it's like action packed vendors Arkansas Game and Fish is there I know Bear Hunting Magazine is gonna be there yep. a bunch of outdoor vendors we're gonna do a live render podcast in front of a, all the people that are there last year there was like four hundred people mm-hmm. we're we're gonna do a owl hooting contest of which Brent Reeves is the MC so and just so a fair warning to all you contestants Clay is a judge and he's not grading on the curve. And right. spelling counts. No, that's he's right. pretty judgy about this whole owl hooting thing. That's, that's why what I'm, I'm a saying. judge. Yeah. I was a judge last year and I got fired. Yeah. <laughs> or you weren't promoted, picky enough? Or promoted, however you want to look at that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We we totally had some unqualified judges <laughs> in there last year. So uh, I'll be one of the judges. That's gonna be Brent's going to be the MC. The winner gets a, a genuine coonskin cap made by Josh Lambridge, spillmaker, from one of the coons that, some coons that that we killed in the Ozarks a couple years ago. Yep. So that's a big big prize, and just, just all kind of fun stuff. Now here's here is family the, stuff too. Here is the the addition to that, which is a wild addition, unannounced up until this point. Friday, March the third, in Bentonville at a location to be announced. We're gonna do a pre pre-screening of the film that we made about Warner Glenn it's it's a it's going to be a bear grease film and so you will be at some point in the near future people will be able to buy tickets to this pre-screened film and it's it's sponsored by our buddies at Onyx they're they're paying for us to have this venue and the the sad news is, is there's only 200 tickets, and when they're gone, they're gone. They're so gone. there's 200 spots in this theater, and so when the link goes up, just first come first serve. And there's gonna be groceries with that ticket too. Yeah, yeah. They, it, we'll announce all all that's going on, but me and Brent will be there. I know that for sure. We're gonna watch this film. The film's only you know 22 minutes long, but we'll be doing some fun stuff. It'll probably end up being a couple hours the whole thing, but. So March the 3rd, so the night before the Black Bear Bonanza in Bentonville. Going to be big. It'll be fun. We're going to give the money, that we any money that we make, to the Black Bear Bonanza Arkansas BHA guys. So it's that's going to be big. Mark, 
your calendars. That'd be a whole good weekend right there. It sure will. It sure will. Well, so this is the Bear Grease render where we talk about, for somebody who's new, the previous week's Bear Grease podcast. And we've come to the end of our series on Tecumseh. I feel like a burden has really been lifted off my shoulders. I really do. I think I started my Tecumseh research a year and a half ago, like six months into starting the Bear Grease podcast. I remember where I was at when I heard, I was listening to an audiobook, one of Alan Eckert's audiobooks. Just where the idea came from? Yeah, I was listening to The Frontiersman, and he talked about Tecumseh being born on the night that this comet flashed across the sky in Ohio, and they saw it, and they they named him Tecumseh, which base, loosely translates to Panther crossing the sky. And I, I didn't know any, I didn't know much about Tecumseh. You know, it's it's not like I was just bored knowing about Tecumseh. I didn't know much about him. I would have known his name. I would have known that there were. I always thought it was odd that there was a lot of businesses and stuff like Tecumseh Motors. Motors, yeah. Um, there's a lot of Tecumseh stuff around the country. I knew he was a Native American leader. Didn't know much about him, but when I heard that, I thought I just imme- in, immediately knew we need to do a whole Bear Grease podcast on this guy. And I started researching and started trying to find the right guys. And it was difficult to connect with all the people that this podcast entailed now and it's when it was complete. And that was the challenge is I was going to do a, a podcast on Tecumseh. Like, you know, I figured within three or four months of me first hearing about him, like I'll read a book and I'll get this guy. And I, I just kept finding difficulty getting getting the people, getting the people, getting the people. And I would get one guy, but I would need a little bit more and get another guy. And so it ended up being the most work I've ever put into a podcast, which is kind of cool because you have a, a lot of time to think about it and getting all these different perspectives was unique, and I think it made for a good podcast. But I feel almost relieved in a good way that the the story is now out there. And not that it wasn't out there before, but we told it on Bear Grease. So the third one is done. Brent, in the whole series, what, what stood out to you? Because you hadn't been on the last two. Was there anything on the other ones that stood out to you? It was all intriguing, and I learned a whole lot of stuff on, on all of them. But to me, the, the tip of the of the spear, the, the culmination of the whole thing was, was Chief Barnes's stuff. Mm. Man, that guy is so insightful, and, and so... He can he easily explains the thoughts and stuff in a viewpoint that I never considered, and it wasn't because I was it it wasn't important to me. It was just I, I couldn't see it from his view and the way he they talked about the individuals and right. and the difference in and putting Tecumseh on a pedestal when he when he wouldn't have been up there by himself. There was a lot of guys doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. And he were he was naming names of people in his culture that were as significant, if not more so, than Tecumseh, and names I'd never heard. And I thought, man, that's that's sad. And it has inspired me to do a lot of a lot more research. But I think his participation in it, without him being in that, it wouldn't have been near as good as it was. And I absolutely loved it. I I like this one better than the Daniel Boone one. Did you really? Really, I did. You know, here's what I 
was so impacting to me sitting across from Ben Barnes. And, and we did this interview back in 2022. I think I said that on mm-hmm. there. You but did. this guy is like Tecumseh. I mean, he's a leader inside of the Shawnee Nation. Yeah. He would he would stand just right beside those guys. And, and I'm not necessarily talking about his accomplishments or not. I'm just saying he is the leader, a leader in the Shawnees, Shawnee Nation. That goes right back to the lineage of Tecumseh, really not that far back. Right. And, and just really interesting. And I was, uh, yeah, super intelligent guy. And you saw his heart inside of it. Yeah. His heart, you know, sometimes when you hear a political leader, and I, and I mean, that's what you would call him. I mean, in today's world, he has to be a political right. leader. And a lot of times when you hear some politician talk, I mean, every single one of us can be like, that guy's full of it. Well, I mean, you, or that, <laughs> that guy has interests that are not always of the purest. Well, and, he, he's talking, he's pandering to try to get the large majority this guy's talking to a group of people and his talking points and stuff i don't think those were vetted by uh, a communications room somewhere in another state that yeah. that was all coming out of his head and out of his heart that was important to his people and to the point that he was trying to get across and it was you could just tell it was genuine to yeah. me yeah. to me it seemed that way i think it was and, and, and i don't understand all the I mean, I'm not inside the politics of of these Indian nations. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we just had this one glimpse. But yeah, when he was when I asked him, I said, What what is the what is the well there were two questions. I said, What would a Shawnee nation look like that you'd be happy with? And he, he took it right back to the people. He said, We've got peop we've got Shawnees in fifty states and I want them to know that they have a cultural home. Mm-hmm. And that, that idea of home seems to be really powerful inside the 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 Indian nations because they were removed from their home. Yeah. And you know, it, it's been a long time ago, but really in human history, a couple hundred years is not that long. Correct. Because Michael, what did you say to me the other day? We were talking about some historical figure and and you said, "Well, I think we were talking about something about the Civil War." And you said, "Well, that guy's granddad was in the civil war well no it was um slavery so right uh, uh, my mother died early and a black lady helped raise me when i was a teenager and her mother's mother was born a slave Mm. so her grandmother was born a slave so So the lady the lady that helped raise you yes her grandmother her grandmother her grandmother yeah so you know people that knew people that where it's just not that long ago. Right. Right. Yeah. So you but, just add another great or two to that and there you are with you know same time Tecumseh. Tecumseh. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I mean if Tum- if Tecumseh had lived out a full life, you know, he he would have, you know, potentially died, you know, he's 45 if he didn't lived another 30 years. Yeah. You know, he would have been almost a 18 in the 1840s or right. something like that. Exactly. So it's not that long ago. Yeah. It really isn't, man. Because it, it takes a while to sort those things out. And we don't realize it, but we're sorting stuff out that happened inside of our worlds that we aren't even cognizant of. Yeah. You know? But yeah, that's powerful stuff. Um and I, 
one of the most interesting things to me in the whole thing was Dr. Dave Edsman's talked about how the removal, and this is going back to Chief Barnes saying that he feels like his job is to undo the negative effects of their removal. Right. Which I thought that was interesting. I, yeah. I didn't anticipate him saying that. But Dave Edmonds, in maybe part one or part two, he talked about how removal from land was very different than a Westerner's worldview of removal from land because their religions are site-specific. Um, I'm reading a book right now about it's, – it's it's kind of an autobiography. Yeah, it's an autobiography of a – well, it's complicated. Basically, a guy wrote a book, and it's about Native Americans. And there's a part in the book where this guy describes what he's seen, okay? And he talks about the mountain, and he talks about the sunlight – going through these trees that have frost on them and the frost glistens and he talks about a river down below him well he this book was critiqued by by Cherokee Indians and this book the the right the guy that writing it was supposed to be a Cherokee the Cherokee said if a real Cherokee had written that he would have named the mountain he would have named the river. He would have been much more specific than a generic more reverent mountain. To, more reverent to what he was looking at? Well, just, just specific because to that spot, to that place, yeah. like that mountain would have meant so much to them. And it ties back to the site-specific stuff. So if you just uproot <clears throat> this culture and put it down somewhere else, I'm like here's some good land, it's different. And, I, and you know, I contrasted that, and it's kind of a simple – it's pretty simple, so it's probably not entirely accurate, but these Europeans were coming over, and they'd been pushed out of their land. They'd been pushed out, and so they'd had some bad stuff happen to them too, And but they had this kind of utilitarian ideology of land, and they didn't have any connect, historical connection to this land, and they were just happy to get it. Right. You know, this, it's just interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. So Chief Ben Barnes, good. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. She'll love looking back on these memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating Mom's Frame with new photos, so it's the gift that keeps on giving. And this is not a joke. Juju Nukem has an Aura Frame, and we share photos, and they're incredible. Also, my mother-in-law has one. We have them. They truly are really good, really high quality. The Aura Frame is easy to set up. It takes just two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. It also adjusts the display depending on light levels in the room to maintain the true color of your photos. For real, the digital screen is amazing. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR, B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. 
Whitetail Institute launched the food plot revolution in 1988 with a concentration on research and real-world testing of forage products specifically for whitetail deer. Whitetail Institute's research and development team of agronomy experts provide effective, personalized service. I've been using Imperial Whitetail Clover for a long time in a food plot back behind my house. In 2007, I killed the biggest buck of my life over an Imperial Whitetail Clover small quarter-acre food plot. Imperial Whitetail Clover is the only clover scientifically developed through years of selective breeding. Clover Extreme Genetic Stability provides extreme cold tolerance, disease, and drought tolerance. It really does. Clover is coated with Whitetail Institute's Rain Bond, a polymer coating added for enhanced seedling survivability. They have an exclusive offer for Bear Grease listeners, 15% off Imperial Clover when you use the code BEAR at whitetailinstitute.com. That's whitetailinstitute.com and use code BEAR for 15% off. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. Born in 2003 in Knoxville, Tennessee, Sport Dog was forged by a passionate group of hunters and dog trainers who intimately understood the challenges of the field and the special connection between hunters and their dogs. People at Sport Dog know that having a well-trained hunting dog is more than just having a reliable partner. It's a commitment to their safety and unlocking their full potential. The Sport Dog promise to customers is simple. Gear the way you design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. Trust Sport Dog, where innovation meets passion, to elevate your hunting experience and strengthen the bond with your local companion. Using tracking equipment on my squirrel and coon dogs is extremely important to me to track my squirrel dogs and my one old coon dog that's not very good. Get 20% off your first purchase using the code BEARGREASE. Go to www.sportdog.com slash BEARGREASE to learn more. Big Dirty, what, did anything stand out to you in the, in the whole series? I, there's <clears throat> there's definitely a few things that stood out. I think the, the interesting thing to me was how... Uh, yeah, like we're talking about, he was he he played a role that was needed at that time right. in the community, and I think that's just so different than you know, especially in the United States today. Like we're a highly individualistic culture, and we're not always looking into like pursuing something that is what our community needs around us. There certainly are those people yeah. doing that, but. Uh, yeah, it's just a very different, at least from the way I live my life, pursuing a creative career. It's kind of a highly selfish pursuit, you know, so well, I would, some good uh, you, good lessons to, to take away from that. But I I have in my notes here that the I think it's hard for us to even comprehend really it's hard for me to really comprehend even what the chief was saying. Because it's such an odd place to be a human because you're, you're looking through life out of these two eyeballs that you have, that you were given, that and your, the way you view out of those eyeballs is important and, and has some element of correctness to it. 
it's interesting to if you can if you can detach yourself from that enough to understand the perspective of somebody vastly different, then you're. It's like wow, I had no idea that there was even another option. Yeah. And uh, the this idea of a of a of a community being important, you know, there, it's not like that died with the Shawnees. That is very much the worldview of most of the indigenous hunter gatherer tribes, and and honestly, some of the a lot of a, a lot of places still on the earth today view it I, for example i had somebody write this in i thought this was really interesting he was talking about he lived in this guy lived in china for years and he said that when you address a letter in china the first thing you write is china the country then the state then the the actual site specific address and then the name at the bottom, and that in that is an indication of the importance of the things. Like what comes first is most important, and you know at the bottom is the individual. And he compared that to the Shawnee language that these other guys were, you know, that the chief told us about about how the Shawnees they focus on the verb, not the noun. The nouns at the end, the verbs closer to the front. You know, he talked about language and stuff. Yeah. So I think I think there's a lot of things like that going on for sure. Yeah. The other thing that was really interesting was kind of how uh how he kind of or he's kind of glorified today because he lost in the right. end, right? And it's it how would that how different would that be if things had played out differently? I thought about something when when he was talking about that Dave when he what's the saying how the European or the white settlers and everything put him up. The old saying, if you want to be the man, you got to beat the man. Mm-hmm. You know, if he had won, they probably wouldn't have put him up that far. There wouldn't have been, but they had value in, you know, if you're the number one seed and you beat the number 20 seed, who cares? You're supposed to beat that guy. Right. But if you're the number two guy and you beat the number one guy, you know, you've got something to talk about. And I could see where, you know, how that played out and how I guess it was put out through the social media of the time, you know, you know, yeah, we're number one now. You know, we beat Tecumseh. You know, who's Tecumseh? Oh man, he was unbeatable. Yeah. He was this big leader, you know, he's doing all these great things and, and we won. And yeah, but that, he how had, that happened. He had characteristics that were to be admired. Because there are a lot of people that we've beat that we hate. I mean, there there are people that are considered the devil, yeah. and we beat them. But he had these characteristics to begin with. Oh yeah, and I wouldn't say I wasn't taking anything away from that. I was just saying how they they wanted it was more or less bragging rights. No, you're you're correct. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying that you're not. But yeah. what it was talked about about the what they call it fostalgia. Yeah. 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 That they, they add things to him. Um, so with the racial climate at the time, they add, they basically whitewashed him to make him more acceptable to the American people Yeah, at the time. Right. You know, they added characteristics also that, uh, would make these people relate to him. Um, like he talked about, you know, they, 
the lady, yeah. the white lady that they um, said that he would sit at her feet while she read to him, and that's not true, right? According to that guy, I have yeah. no idea. But so they add things like that so that he would be able to be admired by the people, and, and one of the reasons for that is they're selling books too. I mean, you know, the people Make that it more did this, palatable. yeah, yeah, and yeah, and we probably do that all the time. We do it to you know, a lot of people. There's yeah. a there's a play. There's a play in Chillicothe, Ohio, to this day, that has been going on for I think fifty plus years, and it's a big outdoor, big outdoor play. That a big auditorium outdoors that holds I think it holds fifteen hundred people, and there's a cast of over a hundred people, as I understand it, and it's called Tecumseh, and I've been to it. It was it was very entertaining, uh, and that's the play that the chief said he didn't like at all, and it's because there's a lot of the fables kind of mixed into that story. Yeah, because that the writer of that play was Alan Eckert, who I said I wrote the book Frontiersman, and Eckert. Uh, just at the time, I don't know, history at the time when he wrote it, whenever that was, it was maybe the 70s or 80s. Somebody will write me a mean email about getting that <laughs> date wrong. But they, that was just kind of the going thing that he had this white woman that he was in love with. And so that's all in the play. And that's the kind of stuff that the chief was like, this is hogwash, this yeah. is crazy. Which was interesting because uh, that play is alive and well today. I, it's worth going to. It, it was very well done, put together. Big tourist attraction there in Chillicothe, Ohio. But it's entertainment and not a history lesson, right? And there's, I mean, there's parts of it that that are true. And when you see it, I think you do, you you do understand a little bit more about Tecumseh. But it also the the, the play also paints Tenskwatawa, his brother as kind of them battling against each other and kind of fighting for power. And I think now they've kind of dismissed that a little bit more and just said they they really did kind of work in tandem together more and more. Anyway, you know, there's some you could nitpick all of it, but sure. But it was interesting because talking about the fostalgia, I thought that was so such an interesting word. Um well, we do that to a lot of people in history. I mean, look at all the outlaws in the West that were, you know, idolized. These people were murderers, but yeah. they they yeah. add these stories to them, the you know, to make them more, what you say, palatable to yeah. everyone yeah. to read. That's the first time I've used that word in a long time. I didn't yeah. know you knew it. I didn't. Nostalgia. He said that that was longing for a past that didn't exist. And hey, I also took a little bit of criticism on this Tecumseh podcast how so from some people that said that okay and here's just the simplest version navigating some very treacherous political waters yeah yeah let's yes, go yes let's do this um is that the native americans were were radically got the raw end of this deal mm-hmm. like i don't think anybody disagrees with that i mean massive and their their civilization suffered for it. America did all this stuff, which is absolutely true. Broke treaties, just tried to annihilate and dismantle the civilization, no doubt. 
So now, two hundred years later, in kind of in kind of response to us being so, and when I say us, I'm saying that because I'm an American citizen. So if you're an American citizen, you, you know, your country did this. Our response to that is to um, romanticize Native American life as being this just like beautiful utopian utopian place. Yeah. And these people were just one with nature and one with each other, and they didn't have problems, and they had this great little world over here that got so. And we know that that isn't entirely true either. Yeah. That's mean, that, more of a recent thing, though, is it not? Well, it's it's just the way we talk about. It. Like somebody said that you know we're we like hyper glamorized, you know, Tecumseh and him guarding this way of life, and him wanting just this traditional Indian way of life. And and what they would say is like, man, this this place was a war zone. Yeah, they were duking before it we out. got here, which is true. With their neighbors, just like we are now. Yeah, and so, you know, you can go <clears throat> to one extreme to the other, and what you want to have is just kind of an understanding that yes, we did, the United States did give these people a radically raw deal. They did, and it was unique too in the fact that. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not a history buff, so I don't know the reasons as much. But we slowly crept across the land. So to keep from fighting an all-out war with all of these people, we just kind of slowly took it and made deals and, you know, we'll buy this from you. And that was the thing. A lot of that land was bought. Right. They, they paid money for it. Yeah. But from what I understand reading – um, some of that land was sold by tribes that didn't actually own it. That's right. Yeah, so a whole lot of, uh, and it's so complicated, and it's so, it, it's not stuff that's that I wanted to talk about just for sake of, it just wasn't the story we were telling, but yeah, the, the acquisition of land of the U.S. from all the tribes is, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of treaties, people selling land that they actually didn't own, all, I mean, betrayal inside from tribe to tribe, but all this just wildly complex stuff that happened. And um, But this was a treaty that he was against that started this, correct? Well, and, and, and that's a simplistic yes. story because it was decades of all these treaties. Right. But his, his, the thing that drew the line in the sand was the Treaty of Greenville, mm-hmm. which was drew a line somewhere in Ohio, what is now Ohio, and it was like, you know, Europeans, you know, Americans can't come across this line, and they did, and that's when Tecumseh was like, okay, no more, no more diplomat, we're gonna have to fight these guys. That's when he joined up with the British, and started fighting. Um, I, so. Another way that we could simplify all this too is that, or, or it seems like it would be simple, is like, why weren't all these tribes in on this? Why wouldn't they have come to Tecumseh's idea of this pan-Indian confederacy and fighting against them? Because that didn't make sense to, to me at first. Because the way we painted him is just this revolutionary Native American leader, it seems like every tribe in the country would have been like, yes, let's stand and fight against these guys. But, man, it was so complex going back to the, a lot of tribes had great deals with the U.S. government where they were getting money, where they were getting supplies, where they were getting all this stuff. And Dave Edmonds talked about it 
Tecumseh comes to that tribe and is like, hey, we got to fight these guys. And the chief is like, uh, bro, yeah. we got a pretty good thing going here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what happened. And yeah. most of the tribes rejected him. Most. The guys that were fighting with him were a small percentage of the. Were most of those, or, or, or do you, you might even know this, it may not have come up. Most of the folks that stood with him, were they from, you know, if they were from the same area or they had similar religions and ways of life? Is that how it came about? Not necessarily. The, the, there were at least 12 tribes that were represented in the Pan-Indian Confederacy. And many, a lot of the Shawnees even rejected Tecumseh's oh, vision. Yeah, okay. lots of the Shawnees. And there's today several divisions of Shawnees even. And, and today amongst those divisions, you can trace back to the people that were with Tecumseh and the people that were against him. Really? And, um, but that was one of the most remarkable things. And the reason we remember him is because he was the, really the only guy that ever united the tribes. That was a big deal. That was like major diplomacy, a major thing, which is also evidence why they believe that he was one of the greatest orators and leaders of the Native American people because he could ride up into a camp of, Cherokees or or Mingos and give I mean all he had was a speech like he didn't have a website he didn't have a podcast he didn't have a television crew all he ha- all he had was standing up in front of these people around a big fire saying we got to fight these guys mm-hmm. I mean wouldn't it have been some wouldn't it have been something to have just one of those recorded oh yeah yeah that was my takeaway from it all was the fact that <clears throat> he was able to band together all those different tribes and all those different folks from different areas and get them to rally. So uh, that alone just showed how powerful his personality yeah. was. Yeah. Anything else stand and out his to brother, you? Lauren? You know, the two of them that just coming together and rallying everybody. That's what I was going to point out is that you hear about the Indian nation and, and warring nations, right? And the the tribes apparently didn't get along a lot of the time. But yeah. now that it's all kind of spelled out, it makes sense. Yeah. But uh, for those guys at that time to rally everyone together is just an amazing deal. That was, to me anyway, that was like, wow. That there takes a lot of... Yeah. You know, another thing that's interesting is that this happened here in what is now the United States where... uh Basically, another group of people came in to land that was already occupied and pushed out the people that were occupied. That's the story of planet Earth. Yeah. That has never not happened somewhere. But that's what I was saying about it happened differently. Normally, you you come in, you attack a country, you take it all. You don't slowly make deals with people and then renege on it until you reach mm. the other ocean. You just it it the whole thing may have been looked at differently had there just been a massive army come in and just run through the whole thing and then people do what they do just like they do now when a country's taken over. Yeah. But the fact that so many that there was trust involved, so these people are coming in to your yard out here. And they're going, I just want to buy your backyard. And you say, okay, I'll sell that. And the next thing you know, you look up and they're coming through your back door. And they say, well, 
I want to live on your couch. Can I do that? And you make a deal with them and then you're in, they're in your kitchen. And it's just a complete different thing than coming in and taking everything from you at once. I see what you're saying. It's, it, it would be more traumatizing for that to happen for me than for all of a sudden I lose it all. And you have this one feeling about that would be different than watching them just slowly take it from you. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. And it would have been generational too. Mm-hmm. You know, Tecumseh was born where he was born because his parents went to a basically a Shawnee convention about what to do about these white Europeans coming into Kentucky. That was right when Boone and them were coming in. Yeah. That's why they were near <clears throat> Chillicothe was because they were like sending out messages to the to the to the people that were scattered abroad. We got to come together and figure out what we're going to do about these people coming into our land, killing our game. So I mean, he was born into this. It was a part of his life. It wasn't like they just showed up while he was here. So and that happened for generations and generations. So just yeah, it's it's it, it, it it's really interesting. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. She'll love looking back on these memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating mom's frame with new photos, so it's the gift that keeps on giving. And this is not a joke. Juju Nukem has an Aura frame, and we share photos, and they're incredible. Also, my mother-in-law has one. We have them. They truly are really good, really high quality. The Aura frame is easy to set up. It takes just two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. It also adjusts the display depending on light levels in the room to maintain the true color of your photos. For real, the digital screen is amazing. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR, B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Whitetail Institute launched the Food Plot Revolution in 1988 with a concentration on research and real-world testing of forage products specifically for whitetail deer. Whitetail Institute's research and development team of agronomy experts provide effective, personalized service. I've been using Imperial Whitetail Clover for a long time in a food plot back behind my house. In 2007, I killed the biggest buck of my life over an Imperial Whitetail Clover small quarter-acre food plot. Imperial Whitetail Clover is the only clover scientifically developed through years of selective breeding. Clover Extreme Genetic Stability provides extreme cold tolerance, disease, and drought tolerance. It really does. Clover is coated with Whitetail Institute's Rain Bond, a polymer coating added for enhanced seedling survivability. They have an exclusive offer for Bear Grease listeners, 15% off Imperial Clover when you use the code BEAR at whitetailinstitute.com. That's whitetailinstitute.com and use code BEAR for 15% off. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. 
Born in 2003 in Knoxville, Tennessee, Sport Dog was forged by a passionate group of hunters and dog trainers who intimately understood the challenges of the field and the special connection between hunters and their dogs. People at Sport Dog know that having a well-trained hunting dog is more than just having a reliable partner. It's a commitment to their safety and unlocking their full potential. The Sport Dog promise to customers is simple. Gear the way you design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. Trust Sport Dog, where innovation meets passion, to elevate your hunting experience and strengthen the bond with your local companion. Using tracking equipment on my squirrel and coon dogs is extremely important to me to track my squirrel dogs and my one old coon dog that's not very good. Get 20% off your first purchase using the code BEARGREASE. Go to www.sportdog.com slash BEARGREASE to learn more. I overemphasized it in the podcast, maybe too much, maybe not enough, I don't know, but about how we tell a story from a place of bias. Like You, you can't, can't keep I can't it. tell you about our coon hunt last night. It was from my eyeballs that I saw it happen. And, it, and that version of that would be different than your version. Even the motivations. If I was telling you the motivations of why we turned right off the levee and went to the frog pond rather than turning left off the levee and going to the, to the inside the levee, I mean, I might have been like, man, Michael, he hates frogs. <laughs> I don't and, like uh, frogs. You're right. <laughs> and then, and, but then Brent would have been like, "Well, actually, he loves frogs. That's why we were going in there to kill the coons that were eating the frogs." Yeah. <laughs> now, just, well, it's you, just like you know. I've always said a hundred times, two different stories. If you want two different stories, get two eyewitnesses to the same event mm-hmm. because people's perception and their their internal bias, whether it's subliminal or, or whatever, is going to determine how they see something. And even me telling the story of Tecumseh, and I said it on the podcast, when I first heard about him and learned about him, I was like, this is going to be a great story because this guy was so awesome. He was such a, he's good, he stood out. He was, like, I totally had a, a way that I want, and I, there's no hiding it. If I do a story on Warner Glenn, I'm going to tell you the best version of him. I mean, I, I want. It's not like when you get done listening to me talk about Warner Glenn, I want you to be like, ah, he was all right, I guess. Yeah. Like I want you to be like, that guy must be the coolest, coolest guy on planet Earth. Yeah. Because that's the way I view him. Like it, the, and even even the bias of the way that you view people and categorize them, and um, so I I, I overemphasize that a lot. Because there is a a thing that's going on today too, where we demonize people that did stuff a long time ago. And I had a section in there about how usually the antagonist in the story that I was telling about Tecumseh was the Americans. Like it was kind of like these evil people, and that's not entirely fair either. Because, but that just wasn't the story we were telling. You know, there was, uh, and I don't think it does any good to demonize those people today 200 years after it happened absolutely and it's, not. it's a war out trope and somebody could be like man you shouldn't even say that but i don't know you know it's like the people that are here today didn't do those things 
but but there is power inside of being empathetic to this day because that's massively what I am. Like when I hear the talk of Tecumseh and, and sit with Ben Barnes, like I'm empathetic towards their cause. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just like, man. but there's a difference between having empathy and feeling guilty. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I don't feel yeah, guilty yeah. about that. I, I, Chief Barnes cured the whole problem of me having to look at that. You know, I, I was I had to come say at one level when when this whole thing started and, and when he slapped me in the head with a wet squirrel when he started talking about, you know, he was just one guy. I thought, wow, you know, we were doing these other folks a disservice by not recognizing them. And that and, you know what I said it inspired me to do some research about that. But that that was that brought what you're talking about now that brought that all home to me there it, it just makes it makes so much sense he couldn't have done that without you know by himself and there was he had a a big supporting cast of folks and it just elevated the it elevated the story or the history of it a whole lot more to me because of that well someone yeah. that's a great communicator yeah. is recognized by history a lot of the times more than the people that just had actions. Mm-hmm. So a guy that just has actions, he just seen something needed to be done and he went out and done it. Yeah. You may never know who that guy is, Yeah, but the guy that could speak about it, well, you know who that guy is. So mm-hmm. not saying that he didn't have actions, obviously he did, but through history, that's how it's always been. The, the great orator was always the one that was known through history. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's probably part of the reason he was such a good leader too was i mean he was a great orator but he also led through his actions i mean he died on the battlefield Mm -hmm. yeah you know he wasn't like sitting somewhere up on a hill watching it go down he was out there well how many battles can you be in before you die so he predicted his death um you had a podcast one time about making your own luck i think it was and that you're your mindset and your attitude a lot of the times creates that luck. I'm sure this didn't happen, but this is what was in my mind. He thought he was going to die. He had a vision of it. So did that affect him on the battlefield that day? Yeah. Whether that yeah. vision was going to be true or not, if you go out there with that attitude, you know. You know, and I wondered if he ever said that before and it didn't come true and it didn't so come nobody true. ever remembered it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it could have I mean, for real. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, that nostalgia. did he really even say it? Yeah. You know, or was that just added to, you know, we how don't know. Easy, how easy would it be, though? For the, Yeah, that story, like, I want it to be true so bad. I want it so bad to be true. Fostalgia in it to the, to the ground. It's like, why? For no reason other than you want to feel like his death was scripted by something bigger than him just taking a bullet, a random bullet. Because... If a if a, an authority from another realm informed him of his death the day before it happened, it meant that it was like supposed to happen. I mean, that's the way I think about it. Yeah. And, but how easy would it be for a story like that to be made? Because his father died, his brother died, his chiefs died, Cornstalk died. His he had basically had three. He had a real dad, then he kind of had two basically adopted dads. The and all of them died. 
Chisiqua, I said that over and over. Every single podcast I talked about Chisiqua, his older brother, saying that he'd rather have his, the fouls of the air pick his bones than to be buried back at camp. It's like those guys, they didn't think about death the way we do. Death was like tomorrow. Yeah. Well, every day was, if they wasn't fighting each other or somebody else, they were fighting the land they were living on to stay alive. Yeah. So every day was, they were in battle every day just yeah. with. Well, we, we live in such a soft world now that we can't even comprehend how they felt about that stuff. You know, now we, someone goes to war, they come back, and we have something to describe what's wrong with them, and we call it PTSD. There probably wasn't anyone back then that didn't have PTSD. Yeah. Right. So, you know, the, the fact of you're going to die is something that's just accepted. Um, like you said, everyone before him died. How many shootouts can you get into before – you get shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. Now, when these when these series are over, I am a I, I said it on the podcast. I use the word melancholy. It's a good word. It is. I, I really do. Like there'll probably be never another period in my life where I'm as focused on just doing the research and just having to do this stuff as I will be on Tecumseh. And uh yeah, I wish there was a. I wish there was a fourth and a fifth, but yeah, it's been my favorite. Really? Yeah, really has. All right, Dave, tell us why uh, Avatar is like Dances with Wolves. Chief Ben Barnes <laughs> just randomly threw that out there, as if we would all understand that. Tell me, tell me what. That I mean, is. It, it. They're very similar in the fact that uh, a white guy goes in, you know. Kevin Costner goes in what is a scout and dances with wolves and ends up basically by the end of the movie living with the tribe. I can't remember the name of the tribe yeah. that he was with in that. And that it's been a long time since I've seen either of these movies. And then Dances with Wolves, the guy goes in. Wait, no, that's Dance. You just told us Dances with Wolves. Yeah. And then Avatar, Avatar basically a white guy goes in in this. To an alien world. To this alien world, falls in love, turns against the people that are trying to basically mine this planet or okay. this alien world and ends up living with them. Got by it. The end okay, of the I see. I yeah. see it now. Yep. I just forgot <laughs> the storyline. Yeah. So Costner in Dances with the Wolves was the American sent out on the plains, and then he becomes basically an Indian. Mm-hmm. Avatar, white guy sent to another planet to extract resource. Is that right? Essentially. Yeah. And, but then he becomes like an alien. Yep. Okay. The big overall, I think, <laughs> arching theme there is the misunderstanding of that alien nation Ooh. by the culture that's taking it over. They have go. no clue about their culture whatsoever, their spirituality, nothing. Mm. So they're coming from that perspective. And those, those two films are the revelation of that character coming to that, like, oh, I had no idea that these guys were this way and this is a better way of life or whatever. That's there was good. no value and they had value right. after right. he realized what was taking place. That's good. That's good. That That is everything. Um, okay. Another thing. Grantley Buffalo. Did y'all hear that song? Yeah. Um, La- the Last Days of Tecumseh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look it up and read the lyrics. 
have you, did y'all listen to the song? It's on the podcast. Well, you should put it on your playlist on whatever you do. Last Days of Tecumseh. And uh because it's it's very short. I'm gonna I'm gonna get the, the lyrics of it. <clears throat> so this is the entire song by Grant Lee Buffalo. And it says, In the last days of Tecumseh, there in the end. There were rumors of invasion, even talk of spacemen. But he couldn't believe that all he knew would fade. In the ground below the airplanes, Tecumseh were laid. That's the whole song. There's not a, there's not another part of it. When I first read it, I just thought it was kind of a nonsensical. Just like what? And I I went online and there were some forums. One guy said, "Oh, he's not talking about Tecumseh the Native American. He's talking about Tecumseh, Oklahoma, a town that kind of fizzled out." That that was what this guy said. I don't know anything about Tecumseh, Oklahoma. There is there is such a place. But I think I think it's talking about Tecumseh. In the last days, and here here it is, in the last days of Tecumseh, there in the end, there were rumors of invasion and even talk of spacemen, which spacemen would be equivalent to people from another place. Yeah. Okay? So that makes sense. It, they would have had to, the first white people they saw, were, they would have probably thought these cats are from a different world. Yeah. Well, they literally and, did. They literally were, yeah. They thought, yeah, they absolutely did. And that would have been a long time before Tecumseh. They'd have been pretty... But it also would have, uh, yeah, spacemen. So Grant Lee Buffalo's trying to put it into context for us today. It would be like spacemen showing up here and taking our land. That's pretty good, Grant Lee. Yeah. He couldn't believe that all he knew would fade. Now that could tie right back to Tecumseh. In the ground below the airplanes, Tecumseh were laid. I think that shows that the spacemen won, and this sacred ground now's got airplanes flying over it. Tecumseh's yeah. in the ground, like they they took it over. Yeah, they they what what could have what what was now has airplanes flying over it. So in the ground below the airplanes, Tecumseh were laid. Any thoughts? What do you think, Lauren? Goes right back to the Avatar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean. It's the it's very similar story. Dave, am I right? Am I right or am I right? Like right. the chief said. You're right. I don't know. I dig it. I have no idea, but I, the one thing that I do know is you're going to get a lot of messages about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that song, though, was perfect because the first time I – Steve Rennell is the one who told me to listen to it. Oh, yeah. He said, oh, you got to listen to Grant Lee Buffalo, Last Days of Tecumseh. So I put it on, and it starts off really cool and acoustic. Dun, 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 dun. I'm like, right on. And he starts singing, and I'm like, yeah, I can get behind this. And then it ends at then a, a minute and six seconds. The song ends. And just like Tecumseh's life. You Maybe wish, that, that's you wish a, it were longer. That's a great metaphor right there. You wish it may it have been on, exactly on purpose. Mm. <clears throat> well, hey. Guys, it's great to have everybody. Michael, you can buy 
Sunspot Lights on the Meat Eater website, yep. meateater.com. You can just, uh, they're a little hard to find on there, so just type them into the search bar up there. Yeah, if you type into the search bar, Sunspot Lights, they'll pop up. And these lights have a lifetime warranty, is that right? They do have a lifetime warranty. Everything, Tell me what that means. Everything except for the charger, which has a two-year warranty. The hat that it's mounted to really doesn't have a warranty. It's a wear item. Right. Uh, everything on that light is, um, we fix it with no charge except for $10 for return shipping. Yeah. Um, except for damage, which most of the time we wind up just fixing and sending back anyway because it's too big of a hassle to contact somebody over some little part that they broke. Yeah. So, even, and that's an incredible warranty. Even so down you, to the battery. So you'll buy, some people might, you know, these lights aren't cheap. That's for sure. No, I mean, they're you're not. not. You're not going to pay $100 for one of these lights. But I'm telling you, it, it would be like, you, you see these guys driving around with these little little John Deere tractors that like almost would fit in the back of a pickup with a little backhoe, mm. a little front-end loader. It's about as big as a tractor. Yeah. And this guy's going, and he thinks he's going to landscape his yard. And then you see the dude drive by with a big caterpillar backhoe on the, you know, being pulled by a dump truck. The little $100 light is like that little John Deere tractor that the guy went and bought three bags of mulch at Lowe's and is going to put them in his front-end loader and drive around the backyard, you know? The Caterpillar tractor is the sunspot light. If you've never used a coon light, you don't know what you're missing. And the dark is a dark place. <laughs> and once you start using a coon light, you can never go back. Just That's like right. once you get on that Caterpillar backhoe and start digging a ditch in your backyard... You ain't going back to that little John Deere. Nothing against John Deere. They just have a little home-grade version. Eight mail. No, no, I mean, come on now. John Deere. <laughs> that one's going to get you more mail than the other one. Lauren anyway, you don't understand what I'm saying, though. I, I, I'm yeah. serious. I, Michael, <clears throat> I tell people all the time, I'm like, you have no idea. You need one of these lights. I do. So you can buy one on the meteor.com. You can buy them from Michael. Lauren that, and I were both wearing little tiny... Yeah, yeah and, backpacking and, headlamps, and you yeah, could hardly tell we not, had a, you could hardly tell we had a light on our head no. compared to you guys. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you what we were saying behind your back. <laughs> well, they made filming raccoon hunting way better. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, we wouldn't sure. have been able to do it without it. Yep. And you guys did an excellent job out there too. Well, you haven't seen the footage. Yet. That remains well, to be seen. I, I don't care. I enjoyed were watching y'all you record out there. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Sometimes I enjoyed watching you work. I've never seen it before, and it was it was it makes you understand a lot better about you know I watch Meat Eater, but you're just seeing Clay or Steve or someone on there. You don't see you guys running around back behind it. You know I was following you guys around, hiding behind trees and such. You don't realize that either. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Don't get the camera shot. If you can find Michael Roseman in the film that eventually comes out, (laughs) we'll give you a sunspot light. There you go. uh, Are we in? I I was pretty good at hiding. I know. I know. If you find a picture of Michael Roseman in the final edit of this, we'll give you a sunspot light. That's not a Sasquatch. That's Michael. (laughs) That's what I said. Somebody's going to be sending in emails talking about they've seen a Sasquatch in the background. The part that, that aggravated me, though, is I wanted to scream... When you guys were over there missing squirrels that I could see backed off from 100 yards. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. No yeah, y'all are like, I don't see him. And y'all walk away. And I'm like, he's right there. Oh, <laughs> so, no. 
That would have been worth yelling at us. <laughs> no, y'all could have edited that out. Huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that happened because you, mm-hmm. you had your thermal, and we're looking at these trees sometimes yeah. way from way back. You can use a thermal to squirrel hunt on cloudy days. If the sun's shining, it's worthless. But uh-huh. on a cloudy day, you can find squirrels with a thermal. Yeah, and it, it, it's not a thermal on a gun. No, it's no, a it's, a, it's a monocular. A little yeah. monocular you put up, mm-hmm. and you can see heat rising off mm-hmm. stuff. That's pretty wild. Fun hunt, man. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it was a good time. This whole project was great. Yep. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening, and you're not going to believe what the next Bear Grease is going to be about. Foreshadow. Boom, boom, boom. Let's go get some chocolate gravy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana. They're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. Around New Year's, we get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we've already done right. Maybe you finally organized one part of your space and you want to tackle another. Or maybe you're taking your supplements every morning and now you actually want to eat breakfast. In the last year, I've been more diligent about going to the gym on a regimented schedule. And it's made a lot of difference in my life. Therapy helps you find your strengths so that you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Grease today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Grease.